Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play to get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It's a Friday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, Senior Bowl practices and the measurements are all in the books. We'll recap those, plus Xavier Howard goes to Vegas for the Pro Bowl, and we'll discuss Wiffle Blast and the ramifications of entering old man trying to do athletic things territory. I think I'm officially there. From somewhere in South Florida, all of that and a heck of a bunch more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. So I think it's best to kick off this podcast by reminding you what you can expect from Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. This is a podcast that focuses on football, and it's always been about football. Opinions on how to make the football team better, things that are, are excelling with the current football team, all ball, all the time, with the occasional streaming service series recommendation. And that's where we'll keep it. It's an exciting time of year, the roster construction time of year, in my opinion, arguably the most exciting time of year, so that's where the focus will remain. Sound good? And before we go ahead, I want to go back here real quick, just touch on the weekend that was previously, didn't discuss this on the Monday podcast, but conference championship weekend in the books, and just wanted to put a note in here how cool it is to have kind of some fresh blood in the Super Bowl game this year. I mean, I saw a stat or a figure from... I think my brother sent me this. So it's something like it's been 19 years since we had a Super Bowl that did not feature Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger, or the San Francisco 49ers. Isn't that like a wild stat? thought that was pretty cool. So it's going to be Bengals and Rams. Also, to me, a great indicator of how team building processes can really happen in multiple ways. There's no one way to get to the big game. And just one season ago, you know, the the Bengals being a four-win team, two years ago, a two-win team, drafted up, build it up, did sign some nice free agents. And then you have the Rams who have just seen star player and acquired star player and put themselves in position to go to their second Super Bowl inside of four seasons and for them, hopefully, to win their first one under Sean McVay. And that's the game we're looking forward to next Sunday. But before we do that, I want to look back here a little bit in this previous week with the Wiffle Blast Tournament as well as the Fish Tank Podcast. And we start on Tuesday, the episode of the Fish Tank with myself. It's called Travis Wingfield, I Can Do This, is out now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, the MiamiDolphins.com homepage. Seth and OJ welcomed me into the tank, and what a surreal moment that was to get to tell my story on a show that I'm a huge fan of, that I was a huge fan of before it became part of the Miami Dolphins umbrella. So big thanks to those guys for giving me the platform to do that. Go check it out now. Give them a five-star rating. Give them a nice review. Let them know what you think and go back and listen to the entire catalog of Fish Tank episodes. Those guys are great storytellers and they helped me get my story out there on the Fish Tank. And before the Fish Tank came out, I hung out with the guys from the Fish Tank for the Wiffle Blast Tournament, a wiffle ball tournament that was held on Saturday. The Jason Taylor Foundation, a lot of good stuff they do there in terms of raising money for kids with pediatric cancer or other pediatric emergencies. And a bunch of teams came out, a great cause, a great weekend for everyone involved. And, you know, I 
throughout the course of this week, I've been feeling some soreness in my abdomen and my whole life I've been terrified of appendicitis because of just the horror stories I've heard. So I was worried it was that, but it was not. It's just some soreness from the torque of swinging a wiffle bat. You guys ever tried to hit a, a real wiffle ball with a real wiffle bat in that skinny, thin barrel of a wiffle bat? It's not as easy as it looks. So first of all, we all agreed to get there about an hour before the game starts. We could get some warm-ups in, maybe take a few hacks. And we we get there and... You know, OJ had told me ahead of time that they were very good on on defense and needed some more firepower on offense. And I'm like, perfect. I don't pitch. I can play defense, but I'm, my bat is what I bring to the table. And um, we get there, and I was aware that this our team had some good pitching on it. I wasn't aware of just how good they were because when I step into the batter's box for warmups, I thought we're taking batting practice. They just start throwing these curveballs and fastballs and sinkers and risers and all these different pitches. And I'm like... I think I foul tipped like three or four of them, like Willie Mays Hayes in Major League, having to do 10 push-ups every time I hit the ball in the air. And that was about as good as I could do. And I was like, oh my goodness, is this going to be an embarrassing day for me? And then I get up to bat in the first game and it was like, I struck out chasing a ball in the left-handed batter's box. I had a called strike three looking that went up over my head and curved into the strike zone behind home plate because with a ball, all you have to do is hit that square behind home plate. I'm like, oh my goodness. And all my teammates are taking walks. And I'm just like, all right, I'm the, I'm that guy. I'm the one causing all the outs here. But then it picked up. We got those victories early because our pitching was so rock solid. I don't think we allowed a hit until the, the playoff round. And again, hitting is very difficult. Most of these games are like 2-0, 3-1, you know, very low scoring games. But late in the regular season at game three, got on the schneid with two home runs, including a, a monster shot that went over a tree that was beyond the left field uh, home run line or fence, whatever you want to call it. There, there wasn't an actual fence, just painted lines in the ground. So that kind of got me going. Then we get into the playoffs where the one seed, we get an easy victory in the first round, go into the semifinals and we tied with this team. And the tiebreaker was you get to have one person hit the ball from your own team pitching so you can lob it in. And whoever hits it the furthest on the fly wins the game because got to keep things moving here. And our guy comes up. I really wanted the bat. We didn't choose me. But I wanted it. I had a couple of home runs on the day. I was the only one with multiple home runs at that point of the game or of the day. And uh, just kind of felt like I was in a groove. But we didn't go my direction. That's okay. I'm a good team player. Supported our guy. And he grounds one right into the turf in front of the home plate. Like three feet. And it rolls a long way. And OJ's like, yeah, out here, out here. And he's like, no, no, no. It's where it lands. So we're like, shit, that went, you know, that didn't even make it down to the women's tees in, in golf. And uh, the next guy comes up, and this guy's been hitting the ball well on us, even though we, we got him out with some fly balls. But he was he was stroking it pretty well. And he comes up there, and he tips it off of home plate, like right into the ground. We win on the three-foot tie-breaking hit in the tiebreaker. And then we come up in championship round, and we're tied in the final inning. And your boy comes up with two outs and gets a big knock for the squad. And then the guy behind me hits a triple to drive me in. And that was enough to win the championship. So Wiffle Blast champions. It was fun after the fact. OJ calls me up like three hours later. My wife and I are at dinner with our daughter. And he's like, I'm still so pumped up, man. And he didn't even play an inning. He was just our full-time coach. And he was still fired up multiple hours after the fact. We got this big cup, a big trophy. And they sent it home with, uh, there was a father-son combo on our team. They sent it home with them first. I think I get it next. But they were sending pictures of it next to the fireplace. He was drinking a beer out of it. 
a lot of fun. Wiffle Blast, the JT Foundation. It's for a great cause, helping out uh, children with cancer and other tragic diagnoses of the like. So JT Foundation, Seth Levitt, OJ McDuffie, Sean Todd, DJ Preach, all those guys. Phenomenal event, phenomenal time. I had an absolute blast. Childhood coming back out, even though... The weather was atrocious. It reminded me of baseball tryouts back home in the Pacific Northwest where it's 35, 40 degrees out and there's wind blowing on you all day long. Not great, but we made it through and we got a championship to put on the wall. So that was the weekend that was as we anticipate another weekend ahead here on this Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. And in this weekend, you'll have the Senior Bowl game on Saturday from Hancock-Whitney Stadium there in Mobile, Alabama. That's at 2.30 kickoff Eastern time, 1.30 their local time. And then on Sunday, we have the Pro Bowl and Xavier Howard making his third start in the Pro Bowl game. That will kick off at 3 o'clock Eastern on ESPN from Las Vegas. And you can watch it on Yahoo Sports, NFL Live, NFL.com on the NFL app there. You can also listen on Westwood One, Sirius NFL Game Pass, all the fun spots there. Howard is the 14th player in Dolphins history to be a three-time Pro Bowl starter, and he's the second cornerback joining Sam Madison, 10-on-10, to do so. He's also the fourth Dolphins cornerback to be selected to the Pro Bowl at least three times, joining Madison, 10-on-10, Patrick Sertan, and Brent Grimes. And it also marks the seventh time in the past nine years the Dolphins have had a member of the secondary go to the Pro Bowl. Always members of the secondary, going back to Rashad Jones through Brent Grimes, all the way back to the Madison and Sertan days in the early 2000s. X, by by now, you know, has had a fantastic career. 72 games played, 71 starts, 241 tackles, two sacks, 27 picks, 70 passes defensed, four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries. He has two pick sixes and one fumble for a touchdown. And his 27 picks since 2016 lead the National Football League. Also, 2021 Pro Football Writers of America All-Rookie Team Safety Javon Holland will also be at the Pro Bowl to provide insight as a correspondent. So make sure to check out our social channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the whole lot of them for coverage there from X as well as Javon Holland. And of course, our website, MiamiDolphins.com for photos and updates on the 2022 Pro Bowl. We mentioned the Senior Bowl a second ago. We're going to take our first ad break right here and come back and get into the week that was in Mobile. Measurements from the Senior Bowl coming up, and then we'll get to the notes from the three practices, national and American team on the field there at Hancock-Whitney Stadium. Travis Wingfield, Drive Time Podcast. Keep it locked right here. So Senior Bowl practices have come and gone once again here on this Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, February the 4th. Travis Wingfield, your host. And before you get onto the practice field, everybody had to go through the poking and prodding as far as the athletes are concerned. The media certainly did not do that, but the measurements for the players have been posted. They're all over Twitter throughout the course of the week. You can go back to the Senior Bulls timeline and find all those measurements and I spoke to a few people around the league, you know, some writers, some draft nicks, the like, people that cover the league, I should say. And the common theme is, what the hell are they putting in the draft waters these days? I mean, I mentioned this on the preview series, the measurements and testing numbers of some of these guys, really most of these guys, is beyond absurd. We talked about Daniel Falele among a crop of absurdity is the absurdist, that word I made up right there. But Falele kicks it off here, and I told you guys he was pretty new to football in the preview series, only having 
his real season income in terms of college experience with the Minnesota Gophers and Power 5 football. But listen to this. 6081. That means 68 with a, a one-tenth of an inch. I've never seen eight in that number before. I've never seen 68. 387. That's more than Trent Brown and Mackay Becton, the heaviest players in football. Hands, 11. I haven't seen more than 10 before. 10, 10 and change. 35 and 3 eighth inch arms. And his 86 and a quarter wingspan is the biggest one I've ever seen in terms of these uh, combine or senior bowl measurements. Absolute freak, Daniel Falele. How about Marquise Hayes from Oklahoma? 34 and a half inch arms at six, four, uh, six foot four and a half. 318, 83 and a half inch wingspan. That is exceptional, exceptional length for an interior offensive lineman. You can control your reps so much easier when you have the sand in your pants and that length to help get the initial strike and slow the momentum before it gets into your anchor. The wild dichotomy with Hayes though, with those vines for arms, kind of has leaves for hands in terms of eight and three quarter inch hand. That's a pretty crazy split there. Brandon Thorne of the Trench Warfare Newsletter, one of the best offensive line minds out there, was very impressed by his game. He said he's a brawler through contact who understands leverage with a good processor. Going to hear more about him later on. Ed Ingram from LSU, 33 and 3 eighth inch arms. He's six foot three, three seventeen. And watching him out there, I think he's got the frame to carry him even more. 10 inch hands too. I mean, grip strength, all that stuff you want up in the trenches. Who else back on the inside? Zion Johnson, 33 and 7 8 inch arms, 10, 7, 8 hands, 82 and 7, 8 inch wingspan. That's another absolute lengthy monster on the interior and the way he plays on the offensive line. That's a great combination to have. This game was full of guys with these long-armed, heavy, sand-in-the-pants type measurements when it comes to the interior or tackle positions on the offensive line. Like Georgia's Jamari Saylor, 80-inch wingspan, 34-inch arms, 6'2", 320 pounds. Talk about pad level, getting underneath a guy and controlling him with your grip strength and your long arms. Two-gapping, all that stuff comes from these guys' builds. And if you're going to go up against those guys on defense, talking about uh, Sailor and Johnson and Marquise Hayes and Daniel Falele, you need similar traits like Tyreek Smith from OSU, Ohio State. He comes with 10 and 3 eighth inch hands, 33 and 5 eighth inch arms, and an 81 inch wingspan. Anything over 80 is, is really impressive. And off the edge at 6 foot 3, 245, it's kind of that mix outside linebacker, defensive end, your Andrew Van Ginkle types. How about a big end? More of your Zach Sealer types. Another Zach from Florida. Zachary Carter, six foot three and a half, two eighty-seven. It's a big, big end. Thirty-three and three-eighth inch arms and an eighty-one inch wingspan. These guys are built different, man. And what about Sailor's teammate, Devontae Wyatt, Georgia's defensive tackle, seventy-eight inch wingspan, thirty-three inch arms at six foot two and a half, three hundred and seven pounds. Talk about squatty body, playing with low pad level from that interior position to get under these big, long offensive linemen and control the rep with the power that he has and the burst and the get off. Devontae White's one of my favorite players in the entire draft, of course, here at Senior Bowl too. Cincinnati linebacker Darian Beavers is an absolute wrecking ball. Six foot four, 252, 81-inch wingspan, 32 and 5-eighth inch arms. You want your Mike linebacker? Might be him. I think 199 is a great weight for Missouri running back Tyler Batty. He's five foot seven and a half. He's compact and shot out of a cannon with some of the most explosive tape in this entire draft class. I also think three or a 210, six foot, six foot and a half, 
for Rashad White from Arizona State. Like Batty, he's got the juice. Really carried that Sun Devil offense. When he was out, there was a huge drop-off. Let's go back to the line and tackle. I've seen some pretty big names in the draft community with a crush on this guy. Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa, teammate of Spencer Brown, who went to the Senior Bowl last year, then to the Buffalo Bills, and had a very nice rookie season. But Penning, he's a bully ball type, and the measurements match. Six foot six and a half, 330 pounds, 10 and a quarter inch hands, 34 and three quarter inch arms, 83 and five inch wingspan. That is so impressive. How about going back to another squatty body on defense in Travis Jones, who really is a nose tackle, but multi-position defensive tackle, six foot four and a half, 326 pounds, 34 inch arms. That's a pair of vines for playing inside for a guy that usually you see in the 76 to 78 range. Talk about 34 inch arms and 82 and three quarter inch wingspan with 10 and a quarter inch hands to boot. This guy, that those measurements match what I saw on tape from him. How about Fedarian Mathis? Bama always has a dude like this, just Raquan Davis two years ago. How about six foot three and some change? Six point uh six foot three and point seven. Three hundred and thirteen pounds, thirty-four and five eighth inch arms, ten three eighth inch hands, and an eighty-three and a half inch wingspan. They're just built differently. And you know, we, we broke the wings wingspan laws here with this guy. Perion Winfrey from Oklahoma on the defensive line, eighty-five and five eighth inch. Wingspan, 35 and a half inch arms at six foot three and a half, 303. These guys, uh, I just continue to be so impressed. And UCLA has one of their own with Otito Ogbania, who was a late addition to the game. 84 and three eighth inch wingspan with 35 and an eighth inch arms at six foot three and a half, 326 pounds. These guys are ridiculous. We promised the length, it's here. How about North Dakota State's offensive tackle, Matt? Wallet Zuck, 85 and three quarter inch wingspan with 35 and eighth inch arms at six foot six, seven, 310 pounds. That's like Jake Long build. And going up against him would be a guy like South Carolina Edge, Kingsley and Ogberry, 83 and five eighth inch arms or wingspan rather 35 inch arms off the edge. 35. That's Ogba territory, six foot three and a half and 261. On the back end, how about Illinois safety Kirby Joseph with an 80-inch wingspan? Even the safeties are built crazy. 33 and a quarter inch arms at six foot and a half, 200 pounds. Solid, solid numbers for him. How about a late game addition here as well with Eric Johnson, the defensive lineman from Missouri State? Listen to this. 300 pounds at six foot four, 82 and a half inch wingspan, 34 inch arms. Welcome, welcome to Mobile, sir. Let's go ahead and finish up with a couple tight ends here. Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina, 78 inch wingspan. 32 and a quarter inch arms, six foot four, 241. UCLA's Greg Dolchich, 81 and a quarter inch wingspan, 33 and seven eighth inch arms, six foot three and a half, 248. And then Grant Calcaterra from SMU, 80 inch wingspan, 38, 33 inch arms. Goodness, 38 would be crazy. It, this, this game, these players, it's just different. Things have changed these days, man. Like the game of football is changing even more than it ever has. And guys that are built like this, athletes like this, continues to get better based upon what we already know. All right, who's ready for some practice notes? Coming up after our last break here, Drive Time Podcast, Travis Wingfield, Senior Bowl coverage, 2022. 
So it's a wrap down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. As far as the practices go, we have the game coming your way on Saturday on NFL Network, 2.30 Eastern kickoff there to get a look at the National and American squad and a bunch of good prospects, a bunch of first round picks, a bunch of second round picks, and a bunch of picks in rounds three through seven as well. A loaded crop as it is every single year. And I want to go ahead now and go position by position and kind of break this thing down about some of the players that I thought really stood out during their workouts throughout the course of the week on the practice field. And at the quarterback position, we start and really end for me with Malik Willis because this is the kind of guy who tests, he tests your ability to learn lessons as a scout, I think, because one of the things, and you know, amateur scout, whatever you want to call yourself, someone that does this for fun or all the way up to a full-time actual position, you always have to be able to be willing to accept faults and flaws and misses and be able to be self-aware enough to know where you messed up. And I think the quarterback position with regards to intangibles versus tangibles is where a lot of that can really occur with Malik Willis. You know, this is a guy who, here's a guy who started his career with the Auburn Tigers. So, you know, the talents there, like that's one of the top colleges, football programs in the entire country. That's where he began. He wound up at independent Liberty where obviously a week like this in mobile for a player like him is much bigger because of the competition. Now that said, the talent level that he faced because of the independent schedule, Liberty played a bunch of big time teams and he had his moments in those games. But what I'm ultimately getting at here, excuse me, is this annual conundrum about do you draft for production and try to minimize your mystery with the prospect or do you roll the dice in anticipation of trying to hit Yahtzee if all development goes according to plan. I'm not going to sit here and say Malik Willis is going to either be a superstar home run pick or nothing at all. He very well could fall in the middle of there somewhere. But I think when you look at what he is at this moment in time as a college prospect, you have the loose, elastic type of arm that can slingshot any throw from any platform to any level of the field. That right there is enough to get you out of bed in the morning and say, okay, I want to work with this guy every single day, regardless of what the rest of his skill set looks like, because I know at the end of the day, when he gets there, when he hits his potential, when he reaches his peak, he has that throw in his tool bag. And while he's getting to that level of developing, we can rely on that as well. He also has 4-3 speed in the tool bag. Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? And you see those throws on tape a lot. And we saw it this week in Mobile. And what you don't see in practices so much outside of the team portion of practice is going through what you would go through in a game with your checks and your defense and your concept and what the concept is designed to do in terms of attacking that particular coverage. And Willis does have a lot of great tape of on-time, on-rhythm throws, but there's also some instances where it's not there. So are you willing to work with that and develop the the ungodly traits this guy has because we saw it all week long. He dazzled throwing the football all over the place and falling away to his left and dropping that arm angle and flinging that thing out there. That's Malik Willis to me is the most interesting, fascinating player in this entire class because a, a lot of folks don't believe that there is a top 10 pick in this draft that will go to the quarterback and beyond that, maybe even on a first rounder, and then B, the the unique traits that he has, the four three speed that we that he's clocked in college or will clock in the combine or close to it with a four four in that range, with that arm, 
Those are traits that you don't scoff at. And I just think Malik Willis, he has all of those. And I cannot wait to see where he goes on draft day. If I had to guess, I would say top 10 because those types of traits, they're rare. At the running back position, Rashad White from Arizona State. I love watching his game in the Pac-12 and here at the Senior Bowl. And you'd be hard-pressed to find a more complete back this week in Mobile. He's an ideal six foot, 210 like we mentioned, but he has the makeup of an every-down back at the next level. Just what Herman Edwards called upon him last year at Arizona State to do. He's a physical between-the-tackles banger, but he also has the burst to leave second-level defenders in his dust. He also clocked a 21.15 mile-per-hour run this week. I think that was the fourth-fastest time last I checked from Jim Nagy in terms of their GPS tracking. Everybody uses GPS, get on board with it. He clocks a 21.15 MPH run. He also showcased his complement of complete back skill set, a smooth runner, a fluid route runner, caught 43 balls last year, and the temperament to handle pass protection duties. What a player he looks like. I also liked running back Tyler uh, Beatty from Missouri. Thought his speed translate. He looked fast out there. Also loved Damian Pierce from Florida. The pass protection drills alone were enough to say, all right, that guy is an NFL back. He also had 27 reps in pass pro as a collegian last year and no pressures allowed. At the receiver position, I thought Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama was among the best receivers out there all week long. In fact, the top three guys for for what I saw, and you can't see it all, were receivers Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, Khalil Shakur from Boise State, and Christian Watson from North Dakota State. Gives you an idea of these smaller school guys and, and you know FCS guys coming up and making big-time plays. Jalen Tolbert, I, the release package is what's going to get my attention every single time. He has that joystick-type quickness at the line to get off press, and then from there, the stack and track skills to make it pay off down the field, and he did that all year long for South Alabama. Khalil Shakur, it's the same thing. The art of receiver is more about just than just hands and speed. Chief among that is your release package, and that's where Shakur shines. He's difficult, difficult to get a hand on in pass in a in, in press coverage because of the symbiotic relationship between his lower body and upper body. With his hands and his feet, he can move and and thwart contact all in the same motion. It's like we talked about with the quarterback having their eyes and feet hardwired to make reads. Same thing, getting off the line for a receiver with your hands and your feet. He got on top of DBs all week and maintained that separation down the field to give his quarterback easier targets. And then we also mentioned Watson. All the guys that were down in a mobile talking about him, he made the most plays all week long in red zone, one-on-one, in full field, 11-on-11, just tons of plays for the North Dakota State product. And he's a very physical get off me type of guy that creates separation through physicality, but also enough suddenness. At the tight end position, Isaiah Likely did not change my opinion one bit about him. Love his game. The same things that he shows on tape, I thought appeared all week in Mobile. If the ball's close with that massive catch radius, he's likely to pull it in. No, no pun intended, or maybe there was a pun intended. Not only were his hands among the best of the crop this week, he just moves at a different speed than his senior bowl counterparts. And, you know, just to mention this real quick, I thought Jeremy Ruckert also looked very smooth in everything he did. And Trey McBride was an absolute monster attached in line in the blocking game. That's just what he does. On the offensive line, what a group this is. Here's your overall takeaway from the senior bowl and really this entire draft class. Offensive line and edge might take up half the picks in the first round. Both of these position groups are absolutely loaded. You might see six or seven tackles go in the first round, and that's before you get to Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa. That's before you get to 
Zion Johnson from Boston College, and he is where we kick it off here. He took snaps at center this week, and one of the most impressive things we saw all week was that he was out there every day after practice getting extra reps because he had never snapped a football before, did it all three days, even in that torrential downpour on Wednesday. Nah, that wasn't torrential. That's the wrong word for a a South Florida uh, resident. We know what that actually looks like. It was just steady rain all day, but he was out there in the rain snapping the football. But with him, there's so many things to like. First of all, the way guys are built is very important. How big is the backside? How big are the quads and the and the legs and the ankles and the calves? All that stuff is important. And this guy is so built in the lower half and you can see that size and sheer power generate from the lower half. That's where all sports start, the lower half. Every single sport you play, it's from the hips, you know, below the waist is, is where all of the power is generated for the most part. And he does that where he drives guys off the football but he also is so light on his feet that he can shuffle over and get in front of a player who's not stacked. Like So uh, a stacked defensive lineman is right over your nose. Not being stacked is off your shoulder, and that can allow them to rush half a man, which obviously is a much easier proposition. But he quickly closes that distance and gets square to his blocks. He drives guys off the football, light feet. He can do a bunch of things. Played both sides of the offensive line, played inside and outside. I'm a huge fan of Zion Johnson's game. Also, Michigan guard Andrew Stuber just never saw him on the ground. He was solid, technically sound, didn't get out over his skis, never looked overwhelmed in really any really area. I thought he stayed square to his rushers regardless of the slant or their hands or whatever they tried to use to beat him. He would find a way to get them off uh, of his of his block. And, you know, Perrion Winfrey, we'll talk about him here in a second from Oklahoma, beat guys all week long. And Stuber came in for the first rep after he had about 12 wins in a row and held his own. That was impressive. Also liked Marquise Hayes from Oklahoma. Talked about his measurements a little bit earlier. Patience in the hands. That was a big theme this week was how patient guys are with that punch and not panicking. Thought we saw plenty of that from Marquise Hayes. Out to the tackle position. And you want to talk about hands. Trevor Penning, I think, is probably the story of Senior Bowl week right now. And I saw some folks say that he got better on the on day three in terms of the, the technique and all that stuff. But where he really shined was the temperament and the way he plays. You go to a bunch of social media or, or Twitter videos from, from people taking clips down there. Uh, he tried to get into a fight with just about everybody. Not like a fight fight, but just that extra play to the whistle and make sure you're doing your job and, and just a tone setting type of temperament that he brings to a team. But also... In addition, addition to the measurements popping off the page, the 83-inch wingspan, 6'6", six 3'10", six, 10.5-inch hands, you see those hands, I think, really show up in the tape because, again, he's so patient with the punch, and it doesn't get him out over the ski. It doesn't get him leaning back on the heels. It doesn't get him weaning sideways to, side to side. And that grip strength, once he gets a hold of somebody, it's pretty much over because he's so strong in that regard. And I think that that physical prowess is probably where some of that temperament comes from because he knows he can dominate guys physically throughout the course of the game. Just the temperament, the traits, he's going to be a first-round draft pick. Might have even moved himself into the top 20 this, this week with the performances he had out there at the Senior Bowl. Also, Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan, another one of these guys that's new to football, came over from overseas. You see that grip strength. These guys in their hands, it's so impressive. Guys had a very tough time detaching from Raymond in pass-rushing drills. How about... Perry and Winfrey from Oklahoma, the lightning quick hands. And once he got to a half a man, he took that that small sliver of space and he made it his own. He would shoot those gaps. And whether it was a quickness off the snap or using his hands, the heavy, heavy hands to rip those 
initial punches away and slide right by a guy. We saw it all day long, swiping guys, putting them on the ground, making tackles for loss in 11-on-11 versus the running game. What a complete-looking player Perry and Winfrey is, and he can play all across the defensive line. On the inside, Travis Jones from Connecticut plays with so much power and such good pad level that he was driving guys back into the backfield all day long. I just wrote down, looks like he's going up against tackling sleds because he was getting that push and driving that thing four or five yards every single time. Also liked Haskell Garrett from Ohio State and his pad level. He was in the backfield all week long in one-on-one. His bull rush and the ability to strike that middle plate. Offensive linemen don't want you inside in that middle plate. He was getting to that spot and he was constantly winning the low man battle, Haskell Garrett. Off the edge, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State didn't practice on Thursday. Might have just called his shot because Tuesday and Wednesday were so good. He kept finding that middle chest plate and getting hands in there and then dropping his power and the lower half explosion and all of that exertion right through the rep and bull rushing guys and putting them on their back. I saw him put multiple 325 pound, even big old Falele at 380, putting those guys right on the on the backside. Abe Lucas from Washington State. He got everybody. He was doing it all week long. Also had a slew of counter moves with heavy, impactful hands. What a player Jermaine Johnson is. My Jay Sanders also had a big knockdown on big old Falele because that, that wiggle that he has, the side, you know, I'm going to bluff inside, go around the outside. He ran around the arc for some big pass rush wins. He puts urgency in your kick slide to get to him quickly because he has the juice. And then from there, he can convert it to power. And I think that what makes him so intriguing as a prospect is that he can play that edge position and be a good run defender. So he can be a three down guy for you, a guy that can play you know, 75% of your reps when he gets fully onboarded. Off the edge also, Boye Mafe from Minnesota. I just put down that he won a bunch around the corner with explosion. Got a long arm move that he does pretty well too. And then Logan Hall from Houston just wrecked guys all week long in the pass rush game. That was such a fun matchup to watch up front between all of these guys in the trenches, offense and defense. And finishing up the edge position, Arnold Ebakite from Penn State. A ferocious spin move, the length and speed combination to create angles and win with that long arm move. What an impressive player he looks like, possible first rounder as well. At linebacker, this class is just full of jaw-dropping builds and body compositions, and Beavers is no exception. He's long, he's rangy, and he showcased both of those traits all week, I thought, in coverage. One of my favorite drills to watch. Make no mistake, the one-on-one coverage drills favor the offense, but you would not know that from watching Beavers play. He used leverage and a quick change of direction skill set to stay in the hip pocket of opposing tight ends. Plus, he had a good week in the pass rush game as a stand-up two-point rusher. Also thought Chad Muma from Wyoming, coverage, instinctive. He's the kind of guy that really pops in the games. Not to say he didn't practice like that, but watch out for him tomorrow in the game. Cornerback Cam Taylor-Britt from Nebraska, they had a screen beater drill where you had to fight through an initial block and then get to the ball carrier. And he attacked that thing the way I attack a Dairy Queen blizzard. He just ran right through the blocker, right into the, the receiver and put him on the ground. His tape is the exact same thing. One of the most physically impressive imposing players in this whole class. Cornerback Mario Goodridge from Clemson thought he played with great leverage, knew how to put himself at the top of the route in great position to break at the same time as the receiver. That's a reactionary skill, right? Because they know where they're going. You don't know where they're going and you have to react just as fast as them. He did a great job of that all week long without getting grabby and getting flags. Cornerback Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati. Confidence and patience, man. Those are imperative traits at a position where physical prowess is necessary, but he displayed all of the above in the one-on-one drills, squatting on routes, pulling the trigger to get his hands on footballs all week long. His understanding of leverage without getting grabby, like Goodrich, at the top of the route 
was evident all three days. Two safeties, Jalen Petre from Baylor. Speaking of hands-on footballs, do-it-all safety has absolute springboards in his shoes. He is such a quick trigger and quick closing distance type of player, driving on routes, making life difficult on pass catchers. Nobody wanted to go up against him because he was getting hands-on balls all the time, routinely in position for potential splash plays. The versatility he demonstrated in college, playing in the post, playing in the box, a slot cornerback, was also on display here in Mobile. And finally, Joseph Kirby from Illinois. He had a really nice pass breakup showing some range and deep coverage. I just think that pairs well with the physical mindset that he brings as a box safety for the Illinois Fighting Illini and into the pros. All right, those are my senior bowl notes there for the week of practice. Hope you all enjoy that. We'll see you guys back next week here on Drive Time. It'll be one week away from the Super Bowl, one day after the the Pro Bowl, two days after the Senior Bowl. Plenty to talk about here in February and all year long here on the Drive Time Podcast. Keep it locked on the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins across all socials for all of the Pro Bowl and Senior Bowl content coverage there. Also, the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and OJ. Of course, I was on last week. Check that episode out if you have not heard it already. And of course, our YouTube channel for our previous media availabilities, as well as Dolphins Today with myself and Joanna Torres. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com for all your Dolphins content. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy is coming home.